0: Uh, Welcome to Redeemer Fellowship Church. Uh, I'm really happy to be here with y'all this evening. Like Denton said, Um, it's just an awesome time that we get to kind of come together and we get to further do what we already did this morning, uh, which is worship God. Uh, We get to sing songs together. We get to open up scripture together. uh, And it just makes me really happy. It makes me really happy to be here with God's people. Makes me really happy to be able to worship with y'all. Uh, worship the one true God who has saved us and who has redeemed us. Uh, and so welcome to Redeemer Fellowship. Uh, today, um, I'm pretty excited because I was asked to preach uh, this specific evening. And whenever I was asked, I said, well, what passage do you want me to preach? Because I knew that we had just finished up our our, our sermon series that we were in. And the response was, whatever you want. And I was like, man, I don't like that. Uh, But uh, it was really cool because it gave me an opportunity to kind of pray through what I thought that would be a good thing to present to the church here uh, at Redeemer Fellowship and to present to God's people. Uh, And so as I was praying through that, I've been going through and memorizing uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount really is kind of considered the foundation of Christianity. Uh, And so that's what we're going to start in. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew 5. If you want to go ahead and get your Bible out, we're going to be in Matthew 5, and we're going to be going through verse 1 through 12. Uh, And what we're going to get to see this evening is the greatest, well, the start of the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever walked this earth, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, And... It's 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 really awesome because I called this kind of like Christianity 101 and like basics of Christianity But as people and as fallen people we tend to forget the basics We tend to forget the things that Christ has laid out for us and and the way that we are to live Uh, And so it's good to go back to these things and to open up God's word because God's word is uh, immeasurable in its riches Uh, And so i'm excited to open this and hopefully we can mine out what is gold in the scriptures because God has something for us in every single dot, every word, every verse, every paragraph, every book, the entire book of the Holy Scriptures. He has for us things that will enrich in our joy in Him. Uh, and so today we're going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 12. And I will say this, um, this is going to feel a little rushed, I think, at times. Uh, I really think that every commentary that I've read on this or looked at on this, um, they literally do a verse at a time and with a lot of pages uh, following that one verse. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go one through 12 and I'm going to focus on what I think is the main point of this one through 12. And so it's going to be a little slow at the beginning, but then we're going to kind of speed through the other points that Jesus is making here Uh, At what is called the Beatitudes Uh, And so we're going to start reading in verse 1 You can follow along with me It might be on the screen If not, that's okay You can grab a Bible that's in front of you Or the Bible that you brought Or the wonderful device we call a phone that has a Bible on it Uh, And we're going to open up God's Word So it starts like this Seeing the crowds He went up on the mountain And when he sat down, his disciples came to him of the Lord. If you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. I'm thankful that we get to come and that we get to open up your word and we get to worship you as God's people without fear of persecution. Without fear of someone coming in and disrupting service in a way that would be dishonoring to you. Father, I pray that you would be with me this evening, that you would speak through me. That you would send your spirit to everyone in this room, that they can understand your scriptures. That they would be encouraged by the word that is in here this evening. And if not encouraged, they would be convicted. Father, we pray that anybody in here who does not have the gift of faith, that you would give them the gift of faith. Father, I pray that you would open up eyes that are blind, that you would give new hearts to the dead hearts. Father, I pray that you would in- increase our joy in you and increase our joy in Christ as we get to examine Matthew one, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, the preacher here is the best preacher that's ever walked this earth before, the God-man Jesus Christ. And this is probably the best sermon ever preached. And I'll say this. I know I said that, I, that it might seem rushed at times through this, so I will, I'll just preface with this. If you want to dive deeper specifically into Matthew 5, 1-12, through 12, go read Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson on the Beatitudes. It's about this big, maybe 300 pages, but it is just rich and it is done in a way that is very communicable to just everyday people. Uh, And I promise you, you will be encouraged by your reading in that. So if you want a deeper dive, that is what I'm going to tell you to do. Um, But as one of the men who gets the opportunity to preach to the congregation of Redeemer Fellowship Church, I do so without knowing the full you. I see your face. I know some of your heart based off of conversations that we have, maybe the way that you live your life and your family and the church and at work. But I do so without knowing the full you. You, but when Christ preached, he preached not only knowing the faces of the listeners, but he preached knowing their hearts fully. Christ preached knowing the very soul's desire of every listener. He preached not only with the knowledge of the heart of an individual, but we, he preached with an authority that is unprecedented. Every single word that left the mouth of Christ was coded with divine power to save men. He spoke directly to the conscience and hearts of men. He spoke with words that could pierce the hardest stone, cut through the hardest and knottest wood. He speak to the dead hearts of dead men and would cause them to come to life. As as we stand up here to preach, me, Denton, Aaron and the other men that get to take this pulpit at times, we preach without that type of power. But we preach from the word of God that has that power. I, in and of myself, have no power and no bearing on the human conscience or the human heart. But when Christ preaches, he preaches with the divine ability to call individuals to himself and to give life to that individual. And he did so on countless occasions. This is a perfect example of why what we say here at Redeemer, what we read whenever we do liturgy here at Redeemer... What we sing here at Redeemer has to be laid over the top of the Word of God and has to be examined by the Word of God because it is the only thing that has the true power to change hearts from dead to life, to give power to live in a way that is honoring to God as we journey through this Christian life and has the power to preserve the saints until we're called home or until Jesus returns. That's why everything has to go over the top of the word of God. We have to see it through the lens of God's word. With all that said, let's dive into the Beatitudes. And what we will see is in the Beatitudes, we see the word blessed a lot. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Everything that Jesus says is blessed is actually very counterculture to what the world teaches us. So everything that Jesus says here, the world scoffs at. So to to see that a little bit, we're going to paint some parallels here on how the world views what would be considered good and happy versus what Jesus considers to be blessed. Blessed. And I use the word happy there because happy and blessed are two different things. And I'm going to define those here in a little bit. But the, word sa- the world would say happy is the rich, happy are the famous, happy are the well-off. But Jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit. The world says happy are you whenever you are having a good time, whenever you are doing what you want, whatever you find joy in, whatever makes you happy. Jesus says, blessed are those that mourn. The world says, happy are those that grind it out at work, that move their way to the top at all costs. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. The world says, happy are you if you have everything that you want. Jesus says, blessed are you if you seek after what you cannot achieve, which is the righteousness of someone else. What we get to look at this evening is Jesus preaching on the kingdom of heaven. And this is a kingdom that is eternal. The first couple of verses uh, we are going to look at are are, are what Jesus defines later, and we'll get to that much later, is what Jesus defines as the narrow gate and the narrow path in Matthew 7. And all of this teaching flows out of where we're going to start, and that's in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom that Jesus speaks about, one must come poor. One must come as a beggar with their hands out, relying solely on the mercies of God. We see beggars in the New Testament, and the only thing that they can count on is them sitting there with their hands out and the mercy of those that are going by. So I will define for us really quick this term, well, kind of quickly, This term, blessed. In this passage, it is a word that speaks of eternal blessedness. I still haven't defined it, I know. uh, Using the same word to define it. But this is a black and white scenario. There is no gray area. There's no room for gray area in this. You are either blessed or you are cursed. You are either counted with the blessed or you're counted with those that are cursed. If you are counted as those that are blessed... You have received a special grace from God. He has shown you favor by taking you, by gifting you the gift of faith, by gifting you eyes that can see, ears that can hear, gifting you the righteousness of Christ. Gifting you the blessedness of salvation. That is blessedness. And for those that are counted amongst those that are blessed, it is a sweet thing to know that God has graciously given mercy to his people. Those who are blessed have received the fullness of saving grace and know what it means to have peace with God because they are in Christ. Happiness the world experiences. Happiness is fleeting because it rises and falls with circumstances. Whenever I was preparing for this, I heard it called happenstance. It changes as circumstances change. Blessedness is the eternal joy that we have in Christ Jesus. It is a non-perishable, but it is dependent on On something, or better yet, someone, and that is the relationship that we have with God the Father because of His Son. Through difficult circumstances, we can know joy. The Apostle Paul was going to be my first example that I was going to use, but then I thought, well, the greater and better example is that of Jesus Christ and His joy that He had before the crucifixion. John 17 reads, but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So blessed, in first, first and foremost, is that you have been saved by God through Jesus Christ, that he has shown you favor. Once again, that he has gifted you faith, clothed you in the righteousness of Christ. And we come to this table, and we come to God saying, I am poor in spirit, I bring nothing. So how is it that we come to the throne of grace? We cannot confuse this, because do we dare approach the throne of grace parading things that we do? Parading what we do in the church? Parading, I'm a deacon, I'm a pastor, I'm a... Pastor's son, whatever it might be, church attendance. Do we come to the throne of grace pointing to a prayer that we prayed or an aisle that we walked at one point in time? Do we come to the throne of grace pointing to our good works that we do? And the answer is very simply no. We come to the throne of grace like we just sang. That we have only one perfect plea, and that is Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And that he has shown us love, and that he has shown us mercy. We come and plead the blood of Christ and his blood alone. The only thing we bring is our sin, but if you have faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus has taken that sin. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus died for that sin. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, he has officially clothed you in the righteousness of himself. We bring nothing, but we are in great need of everything that God graciously gives us in salvation. Second thing I want you to see about this word blessed is that it is in fact a present reality. Aaron talked about this already-not-yet thing. We we don't experience the full kingdom of heaven right now, but we do experience it. Verse 3 says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is a fact that those who have experienced the grace that I've spoken of from our Lord Jesus Christ, that they already and continue to experience the kingdom of heaven. And this is how Jesus begins the Beatitudes. That we come to God with nothing in our hands. I'm going to sound very repetitive tonight, but this literally is what the whole Sermon on the Mount is driving out of. That we come to God with nothing in our hands. That we come to God with nothing, but offer, nothing to offer, but we can only plead the cross of Jesus Christ. That we come with complete dependence on the work of Christ on our behalf. And that alone is our basis for entry into the kingdom of heaven. It all starts with spiritual poverty, or a better word, spiritual bankruptcy. And in that spiritual poverty, we are 100% dependent on God's saving grace and keeping grace as we are in the kingdom of heaven. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4 We see the repentant heart of a person who is in this spiritual poverty or this spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We not only come to the table poor in spirit, but we come with a repentant heart toward our sin. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are convicted of their sin and repentant of their sin. And I want to make an emphasis here on their sin, because I'm not just referring to the sin that's around them and the sin that they examine in the world as they live, the sin of their co-workers, the sin of their family. Although you would have some sensitivity to that if you were in Christ, but I'm not talking about those when they look at them. I'm talking about those who, when they look at themselves and when they truly examine themselves, they see their fallenness, they see their sinfulness, they see their wickedness, they see their right standing before God and what their just punishment is. Those that have been convicted of their own sin and feel the weight of their sin and repent of their sin. So repentance, I think I think that we've kind of muddied it up, honestly, a, a little bit. So I want to talk about that for just a second because I think that what we've honestly done is we've created a burden and we've placed a burden on ourselves that we can't carry nor are we even meant to carry. Repentance is not perfection. Repentance is not sinlessness. Repentance is not, well, I've partaken in this sin. So therefore, I have to do this or do that to make myself acceptable. To further illustrate this, go listen to Aaron's sermon this morning. It's not, I need to clean myself up in some way before I approach the throne of grace. That is not repentance. Repentance is that you agree with God and you agree with God's word about your sin. And you are turning and trusting in him for the forgiveness of that sin. And not only trusting in him for the forgiveness of that sin, but you are also trusting in him to work in you to put that sin to death. It's not a work that you do. It's a work that the spirit does through you. The reason why I say this is because it it almost seems like at times, at least I went through a season. Maybe none of y'all have went through this season. I'm only speaking to myself. But it seems like we kind of go through this time where we create barriers that Jesus has actually torn down. Instead of approaching his his throne of grace as his children, which is what we are, adopted. We have free access to God. So when you sin, if your first thought is, I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to fill in the blank with whatever it is that you think that you need to do more before you approach the throne of grace. You need to stop that. Because there's nothing even that you could do that would make it acceptable for you to approach his throne. Look to Jesus who has accomplished accomplished salvation for you. Approach the throne of God and ask for forgiveness because he freely gives it. And cling to the righteousness that you have in Christ. Because what does verse 4 say here? Verse 4 says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. There's comfort knowing uh, that I'm good before a holy and just and righteous God. Because of the work of his son in my place. So repentance is the second thing that Jesus is talking about here. To be a part of this kingdom of heaven. And I, I say necessary to be a part of the kingdom of heaven because while I was reading Thomas Watson, one of the best quotes that I saw in the book that I thought, uh, no one who no one has ever been converted that has not been convicted. You are not converted if you are not convicted of the things that God says is sinful. And if you are a Christian, I am confident that with conviction comes the Holy Spirit working repentance. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Here this term meek is referring to one that is in humble submission to Christ over their life. And God's word over their life. One who has placed their life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is the idea that those who belong to the kingdom of heaven are not exalting themselves. They're not Making much of themselves. You hear how counterculture this is to the world that we live in. Agreeing with God and his word on how they ought to live. And it's a good parallel with Psalm 37, 11, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And the land in Psalm 37 is speaking to what Jesus is talking to here. The promised inheritance, the kingdom of heaven. But it is also the idea of Lord, whatever it is that you want to do to my life, however it is that you want to use me, however it is you want to use me and my family, I submit to that, do what you please. Meekness doesn't stop with how we are toward God either. But it overflows into how we live our lives amongst the world that we are in. The idea of meekness is an absolute, absolute opposition to one who is quick in anger. The Bible would refer to that person as a fool. We as Christians should be marked by a life where our mouths when they speak are mild, tender, gracious, understanding, Lives where we think of the words that we are going to use and how we are going to use them because words have effects. And if you struggle with this, because I'll be honest with you, this is something I struggle with. If you struggle with this, identify yourself with how God identifies with you in Christ. I think I might have said that a little wrong. Christ is gentle with you. God is gentle with you because of Christ. Remind yourself of that. Because if God dealt with us how we are meant to be dealt with and how are not meant to be, but should be dealt with because of our sin, it would be punishment, it would be wrath, it would be justice. And here's the thing. We are people who have committed what many call cosmic treason against God. Guarantee you that you have not had someone sin against you in the way that we have sinned against a holy and just and right God. Verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I don't think that this verse is talking about hungering and thirsting after righteous acts, and you will be satisfied. Righteous works in and of yourself, and you will be satisfied. But I think what Jesus is saying here is hunger and thirst for a righteousness. That is not yours, and God will graciously give it. Once again, Jesus is implying you have no righteousness in and of yourself. None. But long for the righteousness that Christ has secured for you through his sinless life and substitutionary death upon the cross. We must hunger and thirst for this righteousness that is an alien righteousness to us. Like I've already said, come to God with an understanding that it is a righteousness that you do not deserve, poor in spirit. And that he alone can give it. And what does Jesus say there? He says, do this and you will be satisfied. He refers to the kingdom of heaven earlier, that you will be exalted. Which poses the question of what will happen to those who are not seeking the righteousness that is not theirs. And the answer is they will be humbled. When they approach the throne of God, God will humble them of their so-called righteous acts. They will not be exalted. Exalted. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. I've already spoken in depth about the mercy that the Lord Jesus has shown to us. And therefore, now go and show mercy. We should show mercy to the difficult. We should show mercy to those who are poor and destitute. We should, show, we should be people who come along people's side in the midst of their trials, struggles, and sufferings. One of my favorite verses is Romans 5, 8. Uh, But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is how we should meet people in their sin, in where they are. We should focus on the needs of those around us. First and foremost, your family. Secondly, the people in your church. Third, probably the people at your job. And fourth, just the people amongst in the world that, you, that you're around, your neighbors. We should meet people where they are. We should focus on the needs of those around us, placing people in higher priority than our own desires. Ultimately, we should live selflessly. Because of the selflessness of Christ to come into his own creation and die to save the people who were in absolute rebellion to him. That is mercy. And so therefore, go and show mercy. Be merciful. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God's people are equipped with the Holy Spirit. They are equipped with the Holy Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit will produce in them a pure heart. It will not be perfect. But the sinful things that we once found enjoyment in, we will begin to hate those things and have a love for the things of God and His Word. But the best thing about this verse is the reality that we will see God. was born in 1991 yeah I have never seen the president of this nation the United States in person before I don't even know if I've seen a governor I, I couldn't tell you I'll be honest with you but from president George Bush senior all the way up to president Biden right now never once have I seen them face to face but I will see the face of the ruler of rulers The king of kings, the creator and sustainer of all things, and what an awesome thing that is going to be. I will approach the throne of grace pleading the cross of Christ. I will be clothed fully in his righteousness, and I will see the face of my Lord, my Savior, and my God. The radiance of God's glory will make the sun look like a black abyss. And I will stand and worship him for all eternity, and my joy will be complete. And the same is true for you if you're trusting in the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, I'm not even spending enough time on it, I'll be honest with you. This really could be an entire sermon in and of itself, but maybe another time. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Wherever you go, your home, your church, your jobs, your public events, your sporting events. I'm speaking to myself there. This, this Saturday was my son's first football game. And uh, you just stay away from calling out the ref. Like, I didn't do that, but, like, I felt that in me. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, put yourself in check. Man, actually, me and the mills, me and my wife and the mills went to a uh, Nashville SC game. And as the crowd is screaming things that you should not scream... We sat there in silence. It's tempting to get worked up in the crowd. This is another thing. I'm sorry. Uh, In all the conflict that we see in politics and the culture that surrounds that even, aim to be peacemakers. I, I oftentimes get on Facebook and I'm like, wow, I think they just wanted a response out of that. Don't do that. Aim to be peacemakers. Now, let me add something to this, though. We are never to aim for peace at the loss of holiness. The word and truth of God should never be compromised. We must have peace with the person, but be in war with their sin. We must pray for these people, relieve them when they are burdened. Like I've said earlier, the way that we are to serve, the way that we are to love, the way that we are to be merciful to people, the way that we are to care for people. But we must not become so comfortable that we ourselves are approving of that sin that they partake in. We have to create healthy boundaries. And never sacrifice truth for the sake of relationship or comfort or ease of living. Thomas Watson, once again, says we must not seek the flower of peace as to lose the pearl of truth. The church has the precious gem of truth and we cannot throw it into the dirt. It's interesting here, too, that after peacemakers... uh, He points to the fact of our adoption. And it's not done in a way that's saying, do this and be counted as an adopted child of God. It's not saying it like that. Instead, Jesus is pointing us to our adoption that he has purchased for us. He is pointing us to the peace that he has made for us by his cross. He is pointing us to the reconciled relationship that we have with God the Father... In the same sentence that he is telling us to be peacemakers, he attaches the story of the biggest bridge of peace that has ever been made. To close us up here in verse 10 through 12, we are given assurance in the midst of persecution. And reminding us, Jesus is reminding us that we can have joy in the midst of persecution. I'm gonna read these to us. Verse ten: Blessed are those that are persecuted for the righteous for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Those who are persecuted for the sake of Christ receive great blessing. And what is that blessing? It's the same thing that Jesus pointed us to in verse 3. It is the kingdom of heaven. Here's the thing. Living a life as poor in spirit with a repentant heart goes hand in hand with living a life of some sort of persecution. You heard the parallels that I made at the beginning between what Jesus says is blessed and what the world says and what the world thinks of that. The world scoffs at that. You cannot have true faith without some sort of worldly hostility. It's in too much of a contradiction with the world. Too much of opposition to what the world says is happy and good. This was the experience for Jesus himself. It was the experience of the apostles. It was the experience of Jesus' disciples and has been the experience of the true church ever since the true church existed. Jesus has told us that we will suffer persecution this way, but it is not for nothing. Living a life for the biblical gospel will produce persecution from the world, but we can rejoice because Jesus has overcome the world and promises His saints a reward in heaven. Do not... Water down the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is offensive to the world. But do not cave to that. Do not give up your blessing for comfort in what is so fleeting. But tell people of the goodness of God that they can have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.